0: All right, hey everybody, good to see you again. Uh, My name is Amanda, I'm the discipleship director here and uh, I'm just so glad that you're here to worship with us this morning. Um, Today we are talking about um, the question of what if I've been hurt by religion and we're continuing through the sermon series of starting fresh with church. And when we are talking about starting fresh with church we just have to admit that a lot of people are starting fresh from time to time because they were hurt and they are trying to step back in and kind of overcome some of those things and so this topic i know can be a little bit heavy and so i wanted to start us out with just a chance to laugh at ourselves uh, sometimes church people do really weird things and kind of just lead with the wrong foot so i have a video it's good to laugh at ourselves okay take a look Okay, that was totally a coincidence, that last one. <laughs> but I mean, what are you going to do? It's there, right? So, so obviously, the church isn't perfect. Can I, amen, the church is not perfect. I mean, we are in it. Like, look around you people, okay? We are it, right? And so we have to laugh at ourselves. We have to laugh at ourselves. Now, church sign writers are an easy target, God love them, you know? I mean, here's the thing. If you think that you have a gift to be a church sign writer, the truth of the matter is you probably don't. Like, just, you know, we are very fortunate at Lutheran Church of Hope because we have a dedicated communications team that works tirelessly to make sure that our foot stays as far away from our mouth as is humanly possible. And so we are very blessed by them. Um, But sometimes, you know, there's a little bit of truth in all of that. You saw that video, and sometimes the church just forgets to leave with mercy and with grace and with compassion, you know, particularly the the one about the air conditioning unit. You know, if you think about it, I don't think that's what you want on your sign. If you really want people to know that they are loved and they are welcomed, that's not the message that you want to send. But so often, unfortunately as Christians, we forget to lead with love. We forget that we have been set free from sin and shame. We forget that we don't have to dump our garbage on someone else because Jesus has already taken it. The truth is that's a daily thing, right? To die to our sinful nature and we're if we're honest, sometimes we just forget. And that's how people end up getting hurt in churches. In our text today, Uh, galatians 5 we heard 5 13 through 16 read really the entirety of galatians is paul is addressing this young church that he has planted he has started a church in the city the town of galatia and he got them up and going he got them on the right foot he was teaching them about jesus he was teaching them about uh, jesus life and who he was as god's son and fully human and and about how jesus went to the cross and died for us and rose again he was teaching them all of these things and when he left they were on a good they were on a, they were off to a good start but then it wasn't very long after that that some other folks came in with some different teachings the the new leaders that came in they were probably jewish christians and they came in to the city of galatia teaching what you might call jesus and okay so they were teaching yeah what jesus did on the cross was all fine and good and everything but what you really need if you want salvation is you need jesus and the law the torah If you really want to be saved, you need Jesus and the food laws. And so they were telling this young church, they were twisting what Jesus had said, and they were um, making them think that there were more things then that went along with this business of following Jesus. And Paul writes in um, chapter 1 as he opens this letter, it's verses 6 and 7, he says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon. You are following a different way that pretends to be good news, but it's not good news at all. You are being fooled by these who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Because Jesus and is not good news. Jesus and is what you have to do to be good enough to earn that. And so... The Galatians had gone off the road, right? It's, I like to think of these things in terms of like a ditch, okay? So you're on a road, you know, there's two different ways that you can be going, but on either side of the road there is a ditch. And the goal when driving is to not drive into the ditch. But there's a ditch on either side. You can have one set of mistakes over here, and then there's another set of mistakes over here. And when people really start getting hurt is when you, church leaders in particular, and church folks in particular, we veer off into one of these ditches, and then we try to drive in that ditch. And it's a very bad situation for us and and for everyone who's involved in the church. So I want to talk a little bit today about how I kind of view these two ditches. And the first ditch that I want to talk about with you is what I've kind of affectionately referred to as the my way all day ditch. Um, So my son has a shirt that says on it, my way all day. Yep, there it is. And... uh, I am pretty sure I didn't buy him this shirt. As a mom, like this is like not what I want my son to think. This really feels like a shirt a grandma would have bought right absolutely absolutely so I'm sure that he received it as a gift from his grandmother and uh so last Sunday a week ago today was his birthday and he turned nine years old do you remember being nine like what a big deal how cool is it to turn nine right and so he wanted to wear his my way all day shirt because it was his birthday and he wanted to have it his way all day it was way too hot outside to wear that long sleeve shirt but that kid he powered through because he wanted to make sure everybody knew that it was his way. It was his birthday. So if you're nine and it's your birthday, you can get away with that. If you are a grown-up and you are following Christ, my way all day doesn't work so well because this ditch looks as though When we are trying to follow Jesus, or we say we're following Jesus, but we're also really worried about having our way all day, that we kind of give a wink and a nod to Jesus and we say, catch you later, and thank you, and all of that, and I'll be in touch if I have anything going on, but otherwise, you do your thing, I'll do mine, and it'll be cool, right? There's a slightly more uh, theological term for this. You could maybe call it cheap grace. Uh, that's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called it. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer lived during the first half of the 1900s, and he, one of, he was a prolific writer, a theologian, a pastor. Um, and really the defining, defining episode, uh, time period in Bonhoeffer's life, really was that he was alive in Germany as a Christian, as the Nazi regime was rising to power. And in his writings, he talked about the cost of discipleship. He talked about what it, it means to be a Christian. And what he said was, among a lot of other things, but he said that cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. So cheap grace is accepting and preaching forgiveness without ever actually repenting from the stuff that's keeping us from Jesus in the first place. This is part of what Paul wrote to his first letter of the Corinthians, right? So they had converted to Christianity, they were following Jesus, but they still were involved in all sorts of behaviors that are just completely outside the realm of Christian community. Um, They were still having it their way all day. They were doing whatever they wanted to do, but then uh, gathering once a week for uh, community and and, uh, different things and different in their homes, but it was not a healthy situation. Uh, That's what the Corinthians were doing, and Paul wrote out to them to call them out on these kind of behaviors that are just not compatible with living uh, for Christ. <clears throat> we have all done this, right? We have all done things from time to time that we know are outside of God's will for us, and we fall back on the knowledge that God's going to forgive us, and we say, Someday, someday. So we go out to lunch with our friends, and we say to ourselves, You know, <sighs> yeah. We probably gossip too much. We probably spend too much time talking about other people. Jesus, someday, someday I'll get around to that. Or maybe we lose our temper again. And we know that it's not healthy. We know that it's not, certainly not helping our relationships. But dang it, if sometimes it just doesn't feel good for a few seconds to blow that steam. Right? So we say someday, someday, Jesus, I'll let you have that. I'll give that over to you someday. Or we find ourselves inching closer and closer to an affair, and we know that we should not be continuing this behavior, but the attention feels really, really good. And so we say, you know what? Someday, Jesus, someday I'll let you help me with this before it really gets out of control. Someday. So there are these things, there are these unrepentant sins, these things that we know that we're going to do again. and we are hanging on to them so tight for different reasons. Everyone has a different reason why they hang on to those things. Maybe it's because you don't know what you'd talk about if your friends, if you with your friends, if you weren't talking about someone else. Like I said, sometimes it feels good for a few seconds to blow off that steam, so we're hanging on to those things so tight. and we don't want to we, if we're honest, we don't want to give them up to Jesus yet, but we're saying it's all good. It's all good, Jesus. You and I, we understand each other. I'm forgiven. Thanks so much for that, by the way. We find ourselves making excuses. And if you've said those things, you know, as an excuse, Jesus forgives me. It's okay. I'm covered. If you've done that, and I'm taking a step forward here because guilty as charged, right? Absolutely. Um, We're in that my way all day ditch. We are driving down that ditch where we are stuck in thinking that we can call ourselves Jesus followers, but we can still just keep on living the way that we want to live and doing the things that we want to do. There's truth in that. Jesus will forgive us. Jesus knows we're not perfect. Jesus knows we're a work in progress, and Jesus also knows our heart. So Jesus knows when that uh, I'm forgiven, it's OK. Jesus knows when that's a crutch, when it's a cheap excuse. And Jesus knows when that is coming from a contrite, repentant heart. We can't hide that. We can't pretend that it's one when it's the other. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, this my way all day ditch, this is the ditch that keeps church leaders like from sleeping at night. They get completely freaked out by this my way all day side of the road type of situation that's going on here. And so unfortunately, what sometimes they do is completely overcorrect and then go 50 miles an hour into the opposite ditch, which we're going to talk about here uh, next. The leaders who showed up in Galatia after Paul had left and after Paul had started the church. They were terrified. They couldn't stand the idea of the people in Galatia just living their lives all loosey-goosey and just kind of doing whatever they wanted to do and not following the food laws and not following the purity laws and not following the uh, circumcision laws, all of those different types of things. It completely freaked them out. Paul had very strong words for those folks. We heard Galatians 5, 13, through 16 today if you just move ahead a little bit and read verse 12 you get a sense of how Paul really felt about these folks he was not pulling any punches this made him very upset Um, because they had twisted the good news it was no longer good news and so this is this other ditch this is the other ditch and I'm going to just call it earning grace so these leaders who came in after Paul Uh, They figured that since Jesus was Jewish and he had grown up with those traditions, that what Jesus really intended, and Paul, he didn't mean to get it wrong, but he just got a little bit wrong. What Jesus had really intended was that a person who wants to follow Jesus should keep all of these laws, should do all of these things, and then when you do all of these things, then you're good enough, see, to earn this grace that Jesus was talking about. And for the Galatians back then and for us now, we're really comfortable there aren't we with this idea that we have to do this 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 or this to earn that grace we are super comfortable there Uh, we have tests we have annual reviews at work we uh, just have a list of things that we feel like we have to do the galatians would have also been super comfortable with that because before paul came in and taught them about christianity they would have had two other options option number one was the pagan religions that everyone else was kind of following at that time um, and the different uh, rituals and the different scenarios that went along with that but it was a series of things that that one had to do when one had to participate in just right to be a part of that community. And then the option number two was going to be uh, participation with the Jewish community. There were plenty of uh, people who were not descendants of Abraham, so they were not uh, Jewish by ethnic descent, but they were what they were called, they were called God-fearers, and they were allowed to participate. In the synagogue, and they were allowed to participate in different ways with the Jewish worship. And so you had two options. You had this uh pagan worship, which required all sorts of things that you had to do, and then you had the, the Jewish worship, which all we you know also required all sorts of things that you had to do. And so when these leaders came in and said, you know, Paul, he he meant well, but you also have to do this, it was probably a relief. They were probably like, oh, thank heavens! Like this is something that I can understand. And we get that too, right? Because we're hardwired to crave consistency and routine. It's just who we are. Um, On this slide here, can I get the next one, embrace the, yes, there it is. Um, this, he talks about what grace actually is. And I, I'm not sure if you can read it very well. I, it's a long story. But anyway, great. he's talking about grace. He says it's awkward. God offers us something that's too good to be true, unearned, unmerited, total forgiveness. I love this visual. And we stand there, stiff and uncomfortable, waiting for the embrace to stop so we can get back to the business of earning our way into heaven can't you just imagine that? Can't you just imagine that awkward hug? Maybe you've given the awkward hug or you've received the awkward hug and you're like, okay, when is this going to be over? What is this? This is weird. When is this going to be over? But in this case, we do it so that we can get back to the business of earning our way into heaven. That's what we're familiar with. That's how everything else in life works. We need to embrace Grace. We need to learn how to hug back. I love that embrace grace rhymes, so it's super easy to remember, right? Embrace grace. Hug back. Um, I was reading a book. It's called The Power of Habit. It's written by a man named uh, Charles Dewig, and it talks about why we do the things that we do. It talks in a really non-sciencey way. It's a pretty straightforward read about how our brain just hardwires information. And it turns out that our brains are actually pretty lazy. Left to their own devices, our brains are constantly looking for ways to take things out of the, okay, I have to think about this really hard place in our brain and then it wants to move it out of there and it wants to move it into the autopilot part of our brain so that we don't have to spend so much time working on it all the time. Um, And the author uses this example specifically in terms of learning to drive a car. I really appreciate this example because this is where we are in my house. I have a daughter who's 15. She has her school permit. She is not the world's worst driver, um, but, you know, she's making progress. I have a daughter who will be 14 in October, so we'll be teaching her to drive. And really just even thinking about these things, I can feel that 50 new gray hairs have spread routed onto my head. Uh, it's pretty it's pretty serious business. But anyway, so imagine if you will Imagine learning to drive a car. Because if you're driving, probably you've been doing it for a long time, your brain has moved that from, I have to think about it, over to autopilot. So imagine this. Imagine you're learning to drive, and you're getting ready to back out of your garage, out on, into the, through the driveway, onto the street, to go wherever it is you have to go. So you have a series of steps you have to work through. Right? Step number one, into the garage, open the garage door a very important step. You get into your car, right? If you're learning all these things, you have to think about, okay, getting into the car, putting on my seatbelt, checking my mirrors, looking behind me. Okay, I don't even remember what I've done. Foot on the brake, put it And to reverse, you have to think through every single one of these steps when you are learning how to do this. So if you are a young 15-year-old driver with your school permit, and you are trying to get out of the driveway onto the street, and say you've forgotten your lunch on the kitchen counter, your brain is working so hard at just safely getting out of the driveway that there is no way you're going to remember that your lunch is still in the kitchen. It's not going to happen. But our brain gets used to these patterns, these generalizations, and so then our our brain moves that from the, okay, I have to think about this really hard, to the autopilot. So once it's been moved into autopilot, then you're able to think about, oh, yeah, the 57 to-do things that you have on your list today, or, oh, shoot, I forgot my lunch on the kitchen. I better run back in and get that. That's the only time that you're able to think about those things. So our brain takes them out of, I have to think about this, to autopilot. That's why a new job is exhausting. That's why anything new that you have to do is exhausting, because your brain has to, it doesn't have patterns yet. It doesn't have generalizations. We wouldn't be able to function in a day if our brains didn't do this for us, right? If our brains didn't set patterns on uh, getting out of bed, then have your routine to go wherever it is. If our brains didn't do that, we couldn't, we'd never accomplish anything. We'd just be stuck in our room, like curled up on the floor, right? We wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> Um, So it's a good thing when it comes to those types of situations. But when it comes to patterns of thinking, and when it comes to generalizations that you have taken in over a lifetime, this idea that you have to earn every good thing that you have, that is in your brain on autopilot. And it doesn't go away without intentionality, without intentionally asking Jesus to help us with that. And so some church leaders have they you know understand this that this is kind of part of our hardwiring and they kind of it gets reinforced and we just are so then firmly entrenched because of our our patterns because of the way we've grown up we are so entrenched in this works to earn grace side of the street and when i talk to people and hear about the ways that folks have been hurt in churches The majority of the time, not always, but the majority of the time, it's because there has been this works-to-earn-salvation mentality. And then these arbitrary measures have been set, and then you have to meet these things in order to be good enough, whatever that means. And so there are different ways that uh, we just build these false false structures, things that we have to meet up to. And when we know we can't meet up to them, it causes this this rejection. Nobody wants to feel rejected. And so, so many times, that's where that hurt comes from. So maybe, you know, you were told there was a set of circumstances of, of uh, things that you couldn't do. Um, if you wanted to be a part of the church. Or maybe you were told there's a certain way to pray or a certain number of times a day that you have to pray if you're going to be a member, a part, an active part of this church and a good Christian, by the way. Or maybe you're told that there's only one way that you can uh, be touched by the Holy Spirit. If you haven't felt the Holy Spirit in this particular certain way, then you really aren't a Christian at all. Maybe you've been told That there is only uh, one gender that's appropriate for church leadership. And if you happen to not be that gender, then there's no possible way that God is going to use you. And so it's a sting of rejection. And the problem with all of these things is, is if you are going through your Bible and you are bound and determined to proof text and come up with some little snippet and some little way to support your decision... You can proof text and you can pull a verse out of somewhere and find something that supports you. But when you do that, you forget that the Bible was written to specific people in specific places for a a specific time. And it still speaks to us. This entire book of Galatians, good heavens, is this not true for us today or what, right? But when we are proof texting to prove our point and we're forgetting the whole story and we forget the character of God. That's when we start making these arbitrary things that just actually don't stand up. They don't stand up to the test of scripture and to truth. And so if you have been hurt by the church, and I am guessing that if I were to ask you to raise your hand, I'm not going to, but if I were going to ask you, I bet that many of you would raise your hand and say, yes, at some point in time or another, I have been hurt by the church. Um... As I was thinking about this and, you know, kind of the ways that I grew up and a little nostalgic about my childhood today because about the, same, about the same time that I was riding the bus, I had a really long bus ride. I rode the bus for like an hour to school and an hour home. And at about the same time that I was doing that and I was literally wearing out my Purple Rain cassette tape <laughs> from listening to it over and over about the same time that I was doing that, I was also being taught in my church that as a female, I was never going to have anything important enough to say that anyone would want to listen to it. And so I get that. I get that sting of rejection. And I get how those patterns get put in your brain, and they get to the point that they are just on autopilot, and you often don't even realize how ingrained those patterns are until you're trying to bump up against them. When you're trying to weed them out and trying to replace them with truth, that's when you realize how ingrained those patterns actually become in our head. And so if you have been hurt by church, and if you don't hear anything else that I say today, I want to say this, and I want you to hear it. Please do not let the people who twisted the gospel determine your relationship with your Savior and your Creator please do not let the people who got it wrong have an impact on how you relate to jesus christ please don't let that be a barrier for you if you need help with that please seek us out we'll have prayer partners it's something that we can pray about and we can start rooting through those false patterns and please please don't let those people determine your relationship with christ Obviously, Jesus had harsh words for the uh, teachers who led people down the wrong path, and, and often in Jesus' time, that was the Pharisees. We can read in Mark chapter 7 how the Pharisees noticed that Jesus' disciples weren't actually following all of the hand-washing rules that they were supposed to. And by the Pharisees' own admission, in Mark chapter, uh, five, excuse me, chapter 7, verse 5, um, the Pharisees talk about how this is a tradition of the elders— This isn't even a real commandment. It's not like Moses was up getting the big 10 and there would have been 11 except for he ran out of room. That's not what's happening at all. This is a tradition about how folks were supposed to wash their hands. And the disciples apparently weren't doing it right. And so the Pharisees are giving Jesus a hard time. And Jesus says, you know, Isaiah, Isaiah was right about you hypocrites Jesus had just taken one of their favorite prophets and turned that prophet against them, and any good Pharisee would have had the entire book of Isaiah memorized. Isaiah was speaking for God when he wrote, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. They teach man-made ideas as commands from God. When we fall into that ditch, of man-made ideas, of earning our salvation. When we fall into that, for one thing, the laws become God instead of allowing God to be God. That's why one of our values here at Lutheran Church of Hope is that we worship God, not tradition, because we don't ever want any of the things that we do at any part of the service to become the main thing, and then we lose our focus on Christ. There's another problem with this way of thinking, of earning our way uh, earning our grace, right? And um, that other mistake that we make is we end up inadvertently kind of placing ourselves on kind of a bell curve. You all remember the bell curve, right? And on the bell curve, you if, if you endured this at school, you always were hoping that nobody got 100% because that was going to throw everything off, right? So the bell curve... We kind of set up, when we're earning our grace, we kind of are looking at everything on a continuum, right? So down here, this is going to be the worst of the worst. And we've already talked about Hitler, so we're going to put Hitler down there, worst of the worst. Probably not going to get too much of an argument there with that. And then over here, best of the best, we're going to say, like, I don't know, Mother Teresa, right? Or... Maybe someone who sells everything they own and they go to live in a rainforest and be a missionary and they live in a hut. Like somebody who does something like that is way over here, you know, super awesome, good. So now we've kind of got our parameters, right? And now we are faced with the task of placing ourselves, but more importantly, other people on the bell curve so that we kind of know how everything fits together. Because remember, we're earning our way. So it's really important that we know how we're doing compared to other people, right? So for the sake of not, um, so so take your boss, for example. So you're going to place your boss somewhere on here, and I don't know, so I'm just going to put your boss right there. Okay? And then we're thinking of other people we know and then we're like well our, my neighbor, I don't know. we were hanging out and he's saying something about cheating on his taxes. I don't know. so I' I'm, I'm gonna put my neighbor over here because cheating on your taxes, that's bad news. Then I've got this woman that I work with and she volunteers all the time and she's always signing up for other things and she's always giving things away and talking about this, that and stuff that dishes at her church. So I'm gonna put her over here. This is my this is my coworker. okay? So here we've got this kind of thing. We've got more bad people down here, and we've got other, you know, we've got the Billy Grahams and the, you know, whatever. They're down here, a little bit closer that way. So now what it is, see, is we don't actually have to do anything about ourselves and actually asking Jesus to help us with the stuff that we actually are doing. All we actually have to do is keep track of what everybody else is doing and how that's going, and then we can place ourselves, I don't know, right here, Just, just left of center, because we're going to be honest and a little bit humble. And then, and then all we have to do is make sure that we're like "Mm, better than this group right here. So, anybody here, nope, out. But anybody over here, including us, how do you like that, is good, right? We don't really have to actually own up to anything when we are doing the earning grace ditch because all we have to do is be better than the one-third below us. It works out pretty cool cool in that way until you realize that comparing yourselves to other people really stinks. Until you realize that comparing yourself is actually completely and totally sucking the life out of you. That there is absolutely no joy, there is no joy, there is no peace, there is nothing good whatsoever in comparing ourselves to other people, whether it's the works that we do or they do, or whether it's their house or their car or their kids or whatever, comparison is awful. But when we are trying to earn our way, we can't help but determine how good of a job we're doing, but by comparing it to somebody else. So the reality of this, the my way all day, which we're all guilty of, the comparison earning grace, which we are all guilty of, if we start really thinking about that, we realize those two ditches are actually two inches apart. There's no way we can navigate through there. Or possibly the road in between is made out of quicksand, right? And we are just destined to fall into one or the other. But that would be depressing. (laughs) Jesus offers us something else he offers a way to stay into the middle and in john chapter 8 verse 36 jesus is talking to the pharisees again and jesus is saying that whoever whoever sins is a slave to sin and jesus is saying that a slave has no rights in the household whatever is happening in the household the the slave the slave has no rights to to uh, pull themselves out of that situation remove themselves from that situation however If the Father has given full authority to the Son, then the Son has the right and the full full authority to set that slave free. And so if we are slaves to sin, as we are, as Jesus said that we are, if we are slaves in sin, and the Son, capital S, sets us free, then we are truly And you think for a second, okay, wait a minute, that sounds kind of like the cheap grace stitch. but that's not all. It's not that we are free for the sake of being free to do whatever we want. It's free, freedom, we are set free so that we are able to actually love our neighbor as ourself. What Paul said in Galatians 5, 14, and what is all, said elsewhere in scripture, that you can sum up the commandments, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. <laughs> Have you ever actually tried to love your neighbor as yourself? <clears throat> it is not the easiest thing to do. On our own, on our own, we cannot do it. And so when the sun sets us free, we are free indeed to receive the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ so that we can then love our neighbor with grace and love and mercy. There is no love in giving a wink and a nod to Jesus and saying, we're good, thanks, buddy. There is no love in that. And there's no love in earning your grace either because the law, the law can't make us love just because someone says, don't cheat, don't lie, don't covet. It can't make us do it. It only shows us how, if we're being honest, how far we really are from being able to do anything that Jesus asked us to do. It's only when we are set free from our sin and our guilt and our shame, when we let go of that, we set it free because Jesus gives us the power to do so, that's when we are free to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's when we are free to not take our hurt and dump it on someone else. That's not freedom. Calling on the grace and the love and the mercy of Jesus Christ is the only thing that gives us the freedom to follow the command to love our neighbor as ourself we can only love well because jesus first loved us well <clears throat> uh, here in just a second we are going to sing an old hymn great is thy faithfulness and this hymn uh, was written by a man who was going through his life had been marked with sickness he had not really been able to work he'd not really been able to support himself but as he was writing this song he was reminded of god's faithfulness that's what this song is all about that god is faithful to care for us, that God is faithful to keep the promises that he made to us, the promises that if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Every promise God has ever made to us, God keeps because God is faithful. And so often we think about our faithfulness. Are we, are, are we, do we have enough faith? Are we behaving as though we have enough faith? But what we forget when we start to think that way is that we are able to have faith because of the faithfulness of God. Through all circumstances, through all things, through all time. So please stand and join us uh, as we worship God with great as thy faithfulness.